morning, everyone. Espero que se encuentren bien esta mañana. That's Spanish for hey, y'all. <laughs> it's a, a joy to be here this morning. Uh, Pittsburgh uh, was the spot God brought us to uh, back in the early 80s, believe it or not. Um, I had, um, after seminary, I had a, a past supervisor take on the president's job at a company up in RIDC Park. And so when he heard I was available, invited us to come to Pittsburgh. And so we moved here in 83, I believe it was, maybe 80, late, early 83, and um, began to attend here at Northgate through contacts. And as we taught Sunday school and got to know the body of this, this church, the Lord brought about some significant events in our lives. And probably the most significant was from the um, contact that we had with a woman named Betty Just. Now, some of you know the legend of Betty Just. Uh, she was a very godly, quiet-spoken woman maybe 125 pounds, soaking wet. <laughs> and she played the piano at the worship services. One Sunday, the church announced that they were going to have a blood drive for Betty. I meant for Betty, but, excuse me, uh, downstairs. So I went and gave blood, and on the table next to me was Betty. That's where I met her. And we got talking, and we learned that Betty had children, but she also had like five adopted children. Oh, that caught my attention, you know. How in the world did that happen? Well, she told us a story, and we were on our way to Mexico to serve the Lord. And as it turned out, um, we told her that story, but we didn't have children. The Lord didn't bless us to have children naturally. And so we ended the conversation, and that was it. Well, a couple months, a couple weeks later, uh, we get a call from Pastor Nail. And he had been talking to Betty Just, and there was a child that was going to be given up for adoption if we were interested in adopting a baby. We're talking about a, a two-day-old baby. Now, you know how it works. I mean, those things just don't, as much as we, we hear the tales about storks, they don't just drop out of the sky. And much less um, when you don't expect it, you, we're, we weren't going to wait two years to get to the top of a list, nor did we have five figures to give to someone to make this happen. But three months later, Peter Wisher was born. Hmm. I know I'm on the clock, but that was very special. So, as we sit here and just remember um, the months we spent here at this church, uh, not only do we remember people like Betty and the Muckles, and I could go through the Fazios, I can go through a number of names, many of which you wouldn't know, but it's amazing how God in a short time can just bless your life and change it forever. And that's what he did here at Northgate. So from the very beginning, this body has stood with us as the Lord has led us first 
to Mexico. Mexico City, we served there for 16 years. Planted a church by God's grace and also um, got involved in, in leadership on the field. We had a large team, about 70 missionaries during that period of time that were given fo focused on planting churches. Uh, then, okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> one click. All right. Then the Lord led us to Dallas, and the board of the mission asked us to take on an executive leadership of the entire mission. We served there for 11 years as president of Camino Global at the time. And then uh, the Lord had grace to send us onward to Spain, where we have served now um, for nine years um, and worked in the areas of mobilizing Latino missionaries who are working in North Africa, Middle East, and in Spain, very needy areas of the world. Three years ago, once again, the mission leadership asked us to take the helm at their media center in southern Spain. And it's there where we have been serving now uh, for these three years. Um, uh, after uh, several surgeries, my, my dear wife, who took a spill, a nasty spill, in Madrid, um, was still suffering with a great deal of pain. And so this past year, we've transisted back to the States, where our operations base is in near Memphis, Tennessee. And um, my office is uh, there. I work primarily through Zoom and through phone calls, and also uh, studying and teaching. Um, our team that's there, getting ready to pass the baton, Lord willing, in July. Um, the mission there, um, our, our work there, has more to do with the areas of using uh, the various communication modes to guide Arabic speakers to Christ and then help them grow in their faith in order, and then plant churches through them in North Africa. We use uh, videos, still images, uh, and also animated films to get people's attention. We distribute that through Facebook. And so people respond on, to, to those fa Facebook ads. The whole idea is to start conversations. And those individuals, if they're interested, contact us through WhatsApp. These are all very common uh, social media uh, formats that most of you are familiar with, and they work extremely well, uh, especially in this work we have. But this ministry is truly a work of God. Only He could bring together, honestly, the artistic, the technical, and the linguistic skills necessary from eight different countries to effectively communicate the good news in Arabic. So, um, I generally hope you can join us in our uh, luncheon this at, at noon, where I'll have even more freedom and more time to show some videos, uh, talk about the work more specifically and exactly how all that happens. Because honestly, you would be very surprised at the kinds of people we're looking for to help us. You know, the traditional missionaries that you may think are evangelists and church planters, theological uh, trainers and things of this nature are, are really needed in the world. But the kind of people we need at the, at the media center in Malaga 
our IT experts. We need uh, graphic artists. We need uh, individuals who are involved in writing scripts, makeup, <laughs> uh, set, set uh, establish, establishing sets, um, and, and a whole slew of production responsibilities. And we can, uh, during the lunch hour, I'll be happy and we'll look forward to sharing more of that with you. Okay. Well, let's see. A year ago, when Pastor Mark, uh, Matthew, excuse me, um, invited us to celebrate this year of mission with you uh, at Northgate, he summed it up in four words. You should have them memorized by now. But it's engage, evangelize, establish, and equip. And as I pondered that summary and prayed about this morning, I kept being drawn back to the story of the church at Antioch. The parallels of the development of this church and your mission here at Northgate are amazingly familiar. And I can't but conclude that the Lord is leading us to drive this idea of evangelize, I'm sorry, engage, evangelize, establish, and equip here among us in our lives, deepen it in our hearts, in our day-to-day -day lives. So turn with me to Acts chapter 11. I'm going to read um, this. But I can't resist mentioning, before I get too far, of an interesting coincidence. On this date, on this exact date, 40 years ago today, November 20th, 1982, there was a men's breakfast here at Northgate. I remember because I was here. And the attendance was incredibly good. I think people came from outside to, to sit in with this because the speaker was none other than Dr. Haddon Robinson, a highly renowned Bible pre preacher and expositor. And Pastor Nail introduced Dr. Robinson with the customary formality decorum. But the humble professor played it all down. And being Thanksgiving week, he wittingly said, thanks for the gravy. Now here comes the turkey. <laughs> Northgate, here comes the turkey. <laughs> the story of Antioch starts in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. And I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter and then finish up with 13, 1 through 3. The text is a little bit long as usual, than usual, but I know... A church of this stature will hang in there. Acts eleven nineteen. So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks as well, preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the heirs of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then, when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a, a good man, 
and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And considerable, considerable numbers were added to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and indicated by the Spirit that there would be definitely be a severe famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And to the extent that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And this they did, sending it with Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were prophets and teachers in Antioch. In the church that was there, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart, or set Barnabas and Saul apart for me, for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted, prayed, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. This is God's word. Join with me in prayer. Father, thank you for recording this amazing story. Father, what catches our attention um, is how you took initiative and used faithful saints to penetrate a Gentile city, help them grow and be turned around from being hopeless to being fruitful. Oh God, show us that through your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The book of Acts records the growth in Christianity from Rome, uh, Jerusalem to Rome. Let's see if this is going to work. Okay. The key verse of the book is found in chapter 1, verse 8, also known as the Great Commission as far as the book of Acts is concerned. But it's where Jesus tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit would come, come upon them, and empower them to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. This geographical progression is also a cultural progression. And it's important to remember that as you read the book of Acts. The book of Acts demonstrates how the Holy Spirit takes the initiative and uses faithful believers to break through cultural barriers to spread the gospel to the Jews, to the Samaritans, and to the Gentiles. On Pentecost, you'll remember, the promised Holy Spirit arrives and Peter delivers the gospel to a Jewish audience. And chapters 2 through 7 emphasize the growth among the Jews in Jerusalem and Judea. In chapters 8 through 11, the half, first half of 11, 
We see Samaritans coming to faith through the witness of Philip. And God-fearing Gentiles trusting Christ at Cornelius' house through the message of Peter. So when we arrive at this passage, Acts eleven nineteen, Luke has already recorded that the Gospels advance through the Jews, through the, through, into Jewish and Samaritan cultures. Now we arrive at Antioch. And we now are in a very large and worldly Gentile city that sat 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It contained more than a half a million inhabitants. About one-seventh of the city were Jews who likely moved there in the past through business and they finally settled. But as the capital of a Roman province, it was one, of a ma- one city of major commercial consequences of its day. The people of Antioch were primarily pagan Gentiles. And the city was notorious as a haven for pleasure seekers. One of the profound truths to be gleaned from the testimony of Antioch is that there's no such thing as a hopeless situation. There's no, hope, no, no people, there's no person, there's no family, there's no city beyond hope. As long as they draw breath from God, He can use you and me to guide them into abundant life and change their eternal destiny. Acts 11 tells us the story of how the Holy Spirit changes what, humanly speaking, looked hopeless into fruitfulness, incredible fruitfulness, and how a Gentile and pagan people brought glory to God. Acts 11 tells the story of how, how the God did this and uses, we noticed, five facets of this work in Antioch. And my outline of the passages reads like this. The Holy Spirit's work in Antioch. Engage, evangelize, establish, equip, extend. Sound familiar? That sequence sounds a lot like the mission here at Northgate. And I would submit that Northgate could legitimately add extend, as it's been extending the gospel for decades. Let's look more closely at each of these facets. First, engage. Persecution was good for the early church. Of course, that's easy for us to say, isn't it? It enabled the gospel to break free from the confines of Jerusalem and Judea. One professor um, in a class I took said he noticed that there is an interesting coincidence between what he called um, the Acts 1-8, Acts 8-1 phenomena. That if you don't get engaged in expanding the gospel to the other parts of the earth, then Acts 8-1 occurs. It took Jerusalem many years 
to finally, to finally, send, to finally see. Uh, it never happened, actually, before uh, chapter 8, verse 1, to see the gospel leave Judea and, and, uh, and Jerusalem. We find believers who were scattered following Stephen's death were sharing the message, but only with Jews. This text reveals the tension that, generally, that greatly challenged the early church. We, take it, we kind of pass over it and don't understand the significance of it. But there were pockets of Jewish leaders that held that the gospel uh, was for the Jews. And in order for Gentiles to become Christian, they first had to become a Jew. We see in verse 18 that in order for the leaders at Jerusalem to understand that gospel was for Gentiles just as much as it was for Jews, they had to hear the testimony of Peter at Cornelius' house. This controversy would reappear in Acts 15 as a major issue at the Council of Jerusalem. Enough said. But understand that the transition from Judaism to Christianity in the first century was hard, very difficult. And God was patient and gracious to help early Jewish believers understand his will. But here's the bottom line. All peoples, none, all peoples and cultures are part of whosoever believeth of John 3.16. And all have the equal and direct access to, to God's free gift when they repent and trust Christ. But first, we must engage them. We engage non-believers virtually every time we leave the house. When we do yard work, when we shop, when we get the oil change in the car, we come across with non we come we cross paths with non-believers. The person, for example, the person who cuts my hair is a 24-year-old openly gay gal named Taylor. Last week, we got talking about the dysfunctional homes that we both were brought up in. And Taylor had been raised in the church, but today, she bases her life on what she calls the red-letter words of the New Testament, and nothing more, meaning the words of Jesus. There's only so much that we can, it can be said in a brief encounter in public or in a 15-minute haircut. But I pray for Taylor. And I'm going to, Lord willing, see her again and hope to look for more opportunities to share how Jesus and God's word have changed my life. You know, one wonders how the Jewish believers who arrived at Antioch approached sharing the good news with the, with the, with the non-Jews. But this brings us to evangelize. Jews telling non-Jews the good news about Jesus was a huge step forward. Undoubtedly, the believers were anxious and had misgivings about sharing truth that was probably a mix of God-fearers and pagans. But verse 21 says, the, the, the hand of the Lord was with them. If you're in the habit of underlining your Bibles, that's a great passage or that great phrase to underline. The hand of the Lord 
was with them. This picture is that God's power was at work. That same power demonstrates itself every day to those who faithfully share the message. A believing friend of mine, Scott, owns his own company that services, provides services to scores of convenience stores in our county. One store owner named Mohammed showed interest in Scott's talking about the Bible and Jesus and asked him if he could recommend something that he could read or study. So Scott passes him a Bible study named, Who is Jesus Christ? It's a, and it's a study that talks about Jesus as the author of life, the bread of life, good shepherd, and so on. So last week, maybe two weeks now, Scott calls me from his car, and he can barely speak. He's clearly excited. It took Muhammad only two weeks to burn through those six long chapters of the study. And he wants more. Muhammad told Scott, I don't understand it. But there's something about the study that draws me in. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Muhammad is either a new believer or quite close. And counting on God's power to work will dispel our anxieties and misgivings and enable us to faithfully share the good news once we've engaged people. It's our responsibility to be a witness and the Holy Spirit's work to open the heart of a non-believer. In Antioch, a large number became followers of Jesus through the God's power. Verse, this, this is what we see in the text. Number three, establish. The choice is very interesting here. When news reached Jerusalem that many in Antioch had become followers, Barnabas was dispatched. The leaders knew that new believers in that environment were vulnerable to criticism and persecution and to isolation. They had to be established in their faith. And the choice of sending Barnabas was very wise. The text tells us that he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. We know from Acts chapter 4 that he was from Cyprus. So he was more broad-minded he would have served as a link between the Hebrew and Hellenistic Jews. And by what we read about Barnabas, his name, which meant son of encouragement, truly reflected his temperament. He was an ideal choice to help establish these new believers. At the media center in southern Spain, we use, like I mentioned, videos and still images and animated shorts, all that we produce ourselves to start conversations with Muslims. 70% of those who respond are critical. And sometimes they can get quite hostile. But the other 30% engage us and ask questions, and some of those conversations turn spiritual, and some lead to an opportunity to share the gospel. And many, 10 to 20 per year, abandon Islam and become followers of Jesus each year. 
It takes months, even years for this to happen in some cases. But each truth seeker, each new believer is followed up individually and accompanied in the early stage of their spiritual journey. You know, in a moment, you're going to see a video that helps establish new believers in the faith. Northgate financed it as part of your year of missions. But another dimension of establish is that of encouragement. The people who are new to who are new need to feel welcome. They need to experience the love of Christ, to sense that they are important. And it's a critical element in their spiritual journey, especially when you're new to the faith. Whether they're seekers, new believers, or new to your church body. You know, one thing I learned quickly here is that the people of, Spirit, of, of Pittsburgh are known for their love of the Steelers. Even this morning, leaving the hotel, guy totally dressed up in costume. He was going to the game. At 4.30 in the afternoon, and here it is, 8 in the morning. <laughs> I think he might have slept in that outfit myself. But I remember the first time entering a grocery store in Pittsburgh on Sunday and seeing all the cashiers with a Steelers jersey on and all the people dressed in tribal colors of gold and black. It was game day. And anticipation was palpable. You know, in similar fashion, anticipation should be high when we pull into the parking lot on a Sunday here at Northgate. The anticipation of worship, of learning, of connecting with people of like and precious faith. And those moments before and after the service is prime time to share a smile, to shake a hand, to welcome people, get to know them. Being accessible and friendly is so important and helps to establish people during those critical days, months, and after their trust in Christ. Verse 24, going back to our text, indicates that helping believers to persevere in the faith um, helped the church to grow at Antioch. Hugely. But Barnabas recognized that if believers at Antioch were going to be a solid and stable spiritually and capable of teaching others, then they would need to learn more of the word. And as he contemplated that need, Saul came to mind. Barnabas remembered how shortly after his conversion, Saul boldly proclaimed Christ in the synagogues and confounded the Jews in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So Barnabas traveled to Tarsus and brought the teacher to Antioch. And Saul was a great choice. God had called him to evangelize Gentiles. He had been trained as a Pharisee, so he knew the Old Testament well. And now with nine years of study and ministry, he could equip these new believers, and grow, grow they did. It was Antioch, at Antioch, where Christ followers were first called Christians. This title was probably given to them by Romans 
to distinguish them from the pagan Gentiles and the God-fearing Gentiles and the Jews. Their number, the number of believers was now large enough to catch the attention of the Romans and probably the entire city. The end result is where I really would like to place a lot of emphasis here this morning. The end result of the mission at Antioch was fruitfulness. God's using faithful believers to engage, evangelize, establish, and equip to transform the hopeless pagans in Antioch to fruit bearers. This fruit has extended God's love and grace beyond Antioch. We see this in two distinct ways. First, in verses 27 to 30, we see it through showing compassion. Before the New Testament was complete, prophets were still active in the church. And in verse 28, we see that a prophet named Agabus was touched by the Holy Spirit and revealed that a terrible famine was on the way. The followers all decided to help their brothers who lived in Judea. So they collected an offering and entrusted it to Barnabas and Saul, who then took it to the elders, to the elders in Judea. The offering demonstrated love and generosity. This morning, before me, is a demonstration of love and generosity. Fruitfulness from this body to people you don't know, people you'll never see, but God knows. And this will be a God will use this in a powerful way to touch lives in the, in the midst of missionaries who are on the scene and use it as an opportunity for to share the gospel and communicate truth. This is fruitfulness. A second demonstration of fruitfulness of this church was the spread of the gospel. Chapter 13, 1 through 3. Max 13, uh, Acts 13 marks a major departure in Luke's story. This is significant. Because up to this point, contacts with, with Gentiles had been happenstantial. But here, however, an extensive evangelistic journey, in no sense Jewish, is deliberately planned. And two of their own commissioned to execute it. This sort of obedience was costly. We can almost overlook that. But sending Paul and Barnabas certainly meant financial obligation. And it also meant that others had to step up with their commitments in the church. When you lose two of the prime leaders, probably the best teacher, and certainly one of the encouragers, gone, suddenly someone's got to step into that, those slots. So everyone had to pitch in and give more of their time and energy. And this is exactly what Northgate has done. Your commitment to engage, evangelize, establish and equip has led to fruitfulness and the extension of Christ's love far beyond Pittsburgh to places like, I, I've listed them, Arizona, Brazil, California, Colombia, Costa Rica, Guatemala, Italy, Kenya, get the picture, Latvia, 
Mexico, Morocco, Ohio, Papua New Guinea, Pennsylvania, Spain, Southern Sudan, Uruguay, and Indonesia, I heard this morning. Your mission of engage, evangelize, establish, and equip has made the gospel extend. Extend through compassion and love and to bring the good news to parts of the world that are beyond our comprehension. What you're about to see is a fresh example of fruitfulness of Northgate. The following video is a review of the gospel and a guide to help new believers solidify their faith in Jesus. Your gift extended us, enabled us, excuse me, to do two identical versions of what you're going to see. This one is for women. There's an identical one for men with a male narrator. narrator. Um, but, and it, it's completely in Arabic. But don't dismay. We do have subtitles in English. So focus your attention on the script below, and I'll come back and close, close out. Your commitment to engage, evangelize, establish, and equip has led to fruitfulness and the extension of God's love far beyond Pittsburgh. Thank you. Thank you for what you do, and thank you for partnering with us.